Hello, and welcome to the Foothills Deeper Pod, a podcast for all of us looking to bring more love and more courage into our daily lives. I'm Reverend Elaine, one of your hosts, and we have such a great podcast for you today. It is on a topic that I noticed made me really uncomfortable and surprised, and I found myself asking, oh, can we talk about drugs on a Sunday morning at church? And the answer is yes, and especially yes in the company of our wise and trustworthy guide, the Reverend Kristen Saki. So today we're talking all about psychedelics and the spirit. We're talking about the connections between spiritual experiences and mental health and the history and the hope of plant medicine. And for me, this really was truly a mind-expanding conversation. I learned so much, and I was so grateful for Kristen in particular being such an intentional and thoughtful guide during this sermon. I felt like she anticipated my responses or my questions at every turn. It's not surprising to me that Kristen was such a fantastic guide, since in her ministry, she specializes in psychedelic spiritual care, that she companions people. Um, well, you'll hear all about it in the sermon here. And you might recognize Kristen. Uh, she used to serve Foothills as the assistant minister for Beloved Community. So let's join Kristen Saki now. I recently heard someone name that we're living in the Arimo scene, or the age of loneliness. When I heard it, I was driving up our mountain road on my way home. It was dusk, and the road was quiet. And when I heard it, we're living in the Arimo scene, the age of loneliness. I felt this resonance in my body. Yes, I thought, yes, that feels right. So much loneliness everywhere. So much disconnection. Not that this is the only way, right, to capture these times that we're in, but it is one way. One way that names something true. It's one of the things, actually, that I love about church. Church is, church can be an antidote, right, in this age of loneliness. It can be a place of connection and belonging. Even right now, as we gather across platforms, some of us here in the sanctuary in person, others of us in the sanctuary of our kitchens, and we've all paused the regular movement of our lives to move as one body, to connect for this sacred one hour, to sing, to share of our joys and sorrows, and to explore big and meaningful questions about life together. And for many people across cultures and time, gathering in this way to pray, to sing, to share on intentional occasions included plant medicines. It included a sacred and intentional partnership with plants and fungi to expand consciousness beyond ordinary human perception in order to experience what's already here through the support of more than human life. 
We find this even in the roots of Christianity. A recent bestseller, The Immortality Key by Brian Amirarescu, explores the long-held theory that an earth-based religious community in ancient Greece that influenced Christianity centered around a group ritual involving a fungus known as ergot that grows on wheat and barley and which contains a chemical close to LSD. Muresco's rigorous 10 years of research uncovered an archaeological study that discovered residues of this fungus in a ritualistic drinking vessel dated to this time at a shrine connected to this religious community. Right now, thousands of years later, in 2022, we are in the midst of what many have called the psychedelic renaissance. Have you all heard of this term? I heard some laughter, so maybe that's a yes. <laughs> After 50 plus years of the war on drugs, I bet you've heard of that one. Yeah. The war on drugs, a new wave of research and clinical trials, well-funded, coming out of high-profile institutions, are sharing paradigm-shifting findings. Researchers at Johns Hopkins, for example, have been studying the impact of single large dose psilocybin, which is the psychedelic compound in magic mushrooms, large dose psilocybin journeys on those living with existential distress from a terminal diagnosis. They report these findings, these scientists from Johns Hopkins, that a significant majority of its trial participants experienced considerable relief for up to six months after a single supported journey. Then there are the clinical trials studying the impact of something called MDMA. MDMA-assisted therapy for those specifically living with complex PTSD. Those who have tried, folks who have complex PTSD who got into these trials, they have tried everything, every, every route, every route available to them for healing. Veterans, survivors of devastating trauma. MDMA, right, is a synthetic psychedelic found in ecstasy, but used in its pure form in this context. And the results aligning with one story I recently heard. Her name is Lori. Interviewed after her MDMA-assisted therapy experience, Lori shared that at first she was nervous. I would be too. But by her side were two trained therapists who she had been working with for weeks and who would companion her, be right there with her, for each of the three eight-hour psychedelic journeys. After taking the medicine, she laid down in a quiet room, and I imagine that she was surrounded by comforts. Soft couch, a blanket, inviting lighting, candles, really intentional music, and an eye covering to support her journey going inside. And Lori came to this experience with an intention an intention to turn toward an early childhood trauma that had shaped the rest of her life. She spoke her intention. The therapist held this intention with her. It's what they were, they tapped their collective ship for the journey ahead. 
and the embrace of MDMA, Lori shares, I was able to find empathy for myself. I realized how much I was thinking this experience was my fault. Lori had described before this experience living with PTSD as, as a sense of feeling unsafe in most places, most of the time, almost no matter what. And for her, through the safe and intentional use of a psychedelic and a supportive and connected therapeutic relationship, she began to re-story her life. Through an altered state of consciousness in an intentional, safe, and supportive container, she was able to re-see her life from a place of softness and compassion and begin the journey of healing. MDMA is a heart-opening medicine, often talked about as an empathogen. So it allowed Lori to not just think about love, and compassion, but to feel love and compassion as she turned toward her own life and her own story. What a gift for her. Whether on NPR, CNN, or maybe through the Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind, that was just released this week, perhaps you caught wind of the therapeutic impacts of psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine, and maybe even LSD or cannabis. I want to invite us to pause here to take a moment to check in with yourself. Maybe even take a deep breath. And notice what is happening right now in your own experience, if it's available to you, as we talk about drugs. <laughs> right? What do you notice? Maybe you're feeling curious, intrigued. Maybe you even feel a sense of aliveness that you haven't felt in a while. Maybe you feel resistant or something else entirely. The groundbreaking benefits of intentional psychedelic or sacred medicine use, it's not the story that I grew up in. Maybe it's not the one that you all grew up in either. Born in the 1980s, I grew up with the public service announcements featuring the fried egg on the big cast, <laughs> I, okay, big cast iron skillet. Not subtle, right? Not subtle. This is your brain on drugs. Really, really left a mark on me, I think. I hid my minimal cannabis use as a young adult, feeling the weight of shame around it which even carried over to legal cannabis use as an adult, somehow that shame lingering just below the surface that I never remember consenting to, <laughs> launched with vigor in the 1970s with President Nixon at the helm. The war on drugs targeted black and brown people and communities. Even though psychoactive substances were being used in white communities at equal rates. The racialized drug war devastated families, devastated families, and whole communities. It led to mass incarceration, cost billions, and never worked. Never worked. And not only didn't work, the war on drugs was never even backed by scientific evidence, but by a political agenda. 
1994 interview with Harper's Magazine, John Ehrlichman, a high-ranking Nixon official, confessed this without hesitation. He says, the Nixon White House had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt both communities, he says. He adds, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did, he says. <laughs> that one was, you know, in all seriousness, right? That one was hard for me to take in. Clarifying, affirming, yes, but devastating, right? This has really devastated families and communities, real people's lives. Today, in the wake of these shifting tides, psychedelic use is up across age groups. Whether it's a weekend ayahuasca retreat or microdosing mushrooms, maybe that's you. Maybe it's your child or your spouse. In any gathered community, it's here. And what I witness at the root of this reaching for plant medicines or psychoactive substances, perhaps what we might even talk about as the spirit of the psychedelic renaissance, what I witness is a reaching for connection, a reaching for a felt sense of interconnection, of interdependence with all life, of relationship with the more than human life, a longing, deep bodied longing for a felt sense of belonging to life at the level of the heart, body, maybe even the spirit. We know this to be true, right? That we are connected. That you are, that I am interconnected, interdependent, that we belong to the web of life. It's part of the very ground of our faith. And yet it's one thing to know this with our minds, to believe in a thought, an idea, and it's another thing to feel it, to feel connected. When do you feel connected? There are so many ways on this path. I'm talking about one of them. When do you feel connected? Connected to yourself or to your spouse or partner, or your friends or to the earth? When do you feel connected? Maybe it's hiking, biking, skiing, maybe it's food, cooking for yourself or those you love, gardening. Maybe it's when you're on your yoga mat or in your meditation practice. And maybe you don't have an answer because you feel that heavy and ever-present ache of disconnection from yourself, from others, from life. I see you. I hear you. You're not alone. I want to be very clear about this. Intentionally journeying with psychedelics and plant medicines is not the only path toward this felt experience of connection. And it is part of the path for many. 
as has been the case for millennia. And psychedelics are not a magic pill. Healing, whatever that means for you and your life, takes hard work, right? Support, practice, therapy, commitment, community, integration, trying again and then again and then again. And I don't just mean healing from PTSD. I mean healing from shame, healing from individualism, capitalism, supremacy of all kinds, healing from loneliness. Psychedelics are not right for everyone, and they are not right at any or every point in life. Partnering with psychedelics to support your healing and the healing of communities requires intention. Right now, I am an affiliated community minister with the UU Church of Boulder, and my current community ministry is with a mindfulness-based psychedelic therapy clinic. I work as a psychedelic guide and explore the ancient yet emerging fields of psychedelic spiritual care and psychedelic chaplaincy. At the clinic, we work only with legal psychedelics, those that are currently legal now. So that means ketamine and cannabis. But we also offer harm reduction support, regardless of what medicine someone is using. And I'd like to offer a little of that here with you this morning, briefly. So if you or someone you know or love is considering or is already using psychedelics, here's what I would offer. Understand set and setting. Choosing to take LSD, mushrooms, or cannabis at a party or a concert will be different from creating a sacred space in your home with a candle and a playlist and eye shades. One route, I am of the belief that one route is not inherently better actually than the other. They can both be done with intention. This is more to say that the setting really matters where you are significantly, as does your mindset. That set part, set and set. Your mindset matters, your intention, why going into the journey. Second, safety matters. Get curious about safety, ethics, accountability. If you are being led by someone who identifies as a psychedelic guide or a shamanic practitioner, know your medicine, get to know the medicine you will be using, its history, its makeup, your dose. Two more I want to mention. Take it slow. Take it slow. These are powerful medicines. Take your time as you pursue this path, if you feel called. Take a breath, then another breath, and then another one. And finally, integration is the medicine. Intentionally integrating your altered state of consciousness, experience, ideally with support, into your ordinary day-to-day, -day, right? Integrating, kind of pulling in into your ordinary day-to-day -day before jumping into your next one. This is where the magic is, the integration. This is where change can really happen. Each day in this work, I live in growing reverence to the ancient wisdom of plants, our oldest teachers, and the indigenous cultures that preserved many of these medicines and practices through generations of violence and colonialism. One of my hopes as psychedelic therapy continues to grow is that we, 
as people of faith and conscience get more engaged in the conversation and the movement. The church, after all, has been in the work of healing forever. And Unitarian Universalists, we've been faithfully showing up on the side of love and justice for generations. There's a need and an opening now for progressive religious voices to bring equity, justice, and love to this quickly emerging space of psychedelic therapy. We can start by asking questions like, how do people without a lot of wealth get access to psychedelic therapy? Or what about indigenous reciprocity? What does that look like to return to indigenous communities today and on their terms where many of these now labeled therapeutic practices and substances originate? And also how do we build in complex reparations for black, brown and indigenous people as psychedelics become legal and psychedelic therapy gets officially defined? There are two initiatives on the ballot this fall in Colorado. My hope also in this so-called psychedelic renaissance is that we make room for spirit, that we get curious about the relationship between spiritual experiences and mental health. And by spiritual experience, all I mean is that felt sense of profound connection. And I hope, I hope we get curious about the life, the animating essence, some would even say the spirit of the plants or the fungi of the more than human life that we are taking into our bodies. It turns out that the root of the word arimosine, arimos, is ancient Greek and most often translates actually to wilderness. Yes, yes, we might feel alone in the wilderness, but the truth is, we're also surrounded by life. A complex and beautiful web of life of which we are a part, a sacred part. In this age of the wilderness, then, may we know and feel our interdependence with all life in our bones, we offer gratitude to the more than human life and this wild terrain that invites us back into connection each day through the summer creek, the mountains, or plants, or fungi. And may this felt sense of connection remind us that we belong in this and to this wilderness and that we are loved simply by the nature of this belonging and held by a greater love that holds all. Amen. And may it be so. Thank you, Kristen, for such a beautiful message. Thank you, dear listener, for joining me today. As our time together comes to a close, may each one of us know and feel in our bones that deep interconnection with all existence. Let's take a moment and take a breath. And just bring into our awareness, our connection with all that is in whatever way it's visiting us right now. May we accept the regular invitations back into this interconnection each day, whether it's an invitation that comes from the woods, 
from a beautiful tree, from a neighbor's garden, from a pet we adore, from the night sky, or from traditions and plants that hold something important for us. Thank you so much for making time to join in this week's uh, episode of the Foothills Deeper Pod. If you have a moment, it would mean so much to us if you could leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. This really does help people discover the show when they're typing in keywords to Google. And, you know, if there's anyone in your life who you think would really dig the big questions we're wrestling with over here, please send them a link, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening. I am so glad you joined us today. 